welcome to the SBP podcast, the voice of mobile film. You're listening to episode 71, and I'm your host, Susie Botello. So in this episode, we want to introduce you to C.K. Golding. C.K. was here in San Diego last year for the IMFF uh, Film Festival uh, 2019. He came all the way from Sheffield in the U.K. And he presented a film that went viral. Uh, It was called 61 Hugs. And he met a lot of people here uh, in our film festival. But he also spent about a week here in San Diego. And boy, he... He actually went through a little bit of an adventure. And so guess what? He made a film out of it. He shot this film with a phone, a smartphone, of course. And um, it's coming out on the weekend of January 12th. So you may want to stay tuned for that. We'll share a link uh, to his uh, social media and his website where you can catch all that. Um, The name of the film, it's a little catchy. It's a little freaky. (laughs) It's called Waiting with a Killer. Um, If you're already hooked, then let's go and talk to CK now. filmmaking i am here talking to uh, i i don't want to say old friend but a good friend uh ck golding he's in sheffield in the uk hi ck hey good Uh, afternoon ah no evening good evening uh ck you are um you are more in the future than i am because you're in the in in the in the um, UK, I'm sorry, my iPhone, I put it on uh, Do Not Disturb and it fell uh, on the floor. So I was checking, making sure it was still alive. Um, okay. <laughs> um, I wanted to share with everyone that you have some very uh, congr- congratulatory, congratulatory, is that even a word, CK? It is, just not the way you said it. Probably not, because I probably murdered that word. Um, I was going to use the word butchered, but let's go for murdered, because <laughs> it's, it's actually uh, weirdly, weirdly appropriate, actually. Yes, well, CK just um, notified me uh, of uh, some awards that you just received. CK, congratulations. Uh, why don't you share these awards and, um, and what this stands for um, with our listeners? Well, I can't thank the British, well, I suppose it's it's online, so it's ultimately global, I guess. But thanks to the people at Documentary Weekly here in the UK, my debut short film, 61 Hugs, has just been awarded Best Documentary of the Year and Best Free, sorry, Best Short Documentary of the Year and Best Free Documentary of the Year. So that was a remarkable remarkable achievement and i can only thank with sincerity everybody that voted because um people 
that follow me online were immense in the way that he sended on that website and just um, showed some support and love for that film. So I can't thank everybody enough. And yeah, genuinely grateful to Doc Weekly and everybody that voted. Well, we, um, uh, you know, that's kind of a really cool thing for me because, you know, we shared your film and it's, it's one of the reasons that, well, it's the reason you and I even met online, right? Correct. It absolutely is. Yeah. Via, via you see, this is, the, um, uh, there's a potential for me to climb onto my giant soapbox, but I'm not going to, but this is one of the reasons why I implore all creatives to get on the Twitter train. I, I, I'm i forever stunned at how creatives dismiss that platform. It just seems odd to me because for the most part, any great connection, collaboration, engagement, press placement I've ever achieved of note has been via Twitter. So that's where you and I met, right? Yes. And you know what? You are 150% right on that, at least 50%. Um, because I have the same issue, you know, I meet a lot of creative people all the time and business people. And they're always, you know, I, I ask for their, I go to follow them and I can't find them on Twitter, you know, or I'll find them on Facebook, you know, uh, doing well there. But then I go to their Twitter and it's just, uh, it's like crickets. There's nothing there. The thing is, Susie, I have a certain sympathy for it. It's not like, so be, based on what I just said, like 23 seconds ago, <laughs> it's not like I don't understand it because I do 100% understand why artists and creatives shun it. And I'm going to tell you why that is. Because the reason I love Twitter is the reason that many artists, is, is, is the side of being an artist that many artists don't like. And that's because I see it as a great PR tool. I see twitter as the most powerful pr tool so it's not like i'm necessarily on there sharing my work my projects my short films my documentaries whatever i certainly do that there but i see twitter more as a means of reaching out to publishers that can that can share my work or do an interview or whatever and that is something i had to get comfortable with and i'm <laughs> i'm quite far along that journey of getting comfortable with it but i know that most artists aren't so in contrast, Instagram, for example, is great for actually sharing your work and showing off your great talents, which I do as well. Yeah. Um, so that is why you will usually find artists gravitate towards Instagram first and foremost, because it is a great platform for sharing your work and letting people know what you're all about. When it comes to the when it comes to the filthy business of actually promoting and reaching out to publishers or whatever, it's like, oh god, that's that's just that's icky. But I'm all right with it. <laughs> yeah, right no, of course, of course. Um, but the reason why I tell artists to to do that is because, you know, part of the expression of art is also the sharing. And I do find Twitter as a really cool, uh, snappy, if I could say that, way of sharing your work. Even if it's a link or even, I mean, you know, you can you can add videos. You do really cool things. And I know that, you're coming at it from PR, but it's it's a self-branding tool, I think. I should probably correct myself when I mentioned PR then, and I think the only reason I mentioned that is I was recently talking to an artist in San Diego via Skype about what I do for PR, but don't get me wrong, twi Twitter for me isn't 100% um, PR. If anything, it's probably 20% PR. The 80%, I just like it as a platform. I just I like it, and I um, just 
from an expressive point of view, from a connecting with other artists, creative point of view. But once you actually get how it works, you'll realize that the vast majority of press and... Okay, let me just break this down into simple terms. Let's say you're a singer-songwriter, for example. Yeah. Right? And let's say there's a music website that's very, very, very well visited. It has lots of traffic, right? Yep. The chances are that website that you would love to have your song featured on, they are probably more present on Twitter than anywhere else. And that is what I mean about most publishers do tend to gravitate towards Twitch. So if you're wanting to connect with them, then that will probably be the best place to do it. So, and that's what I found for me personally as well as a, as a, as a creator, writer, filmmaker, etc. Yeah. Well, I totally agree. And, and again, this is how you and I met. And, um, and then I saw your film. Uh, you you tweeted something or retweeted or 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 just mentioned me or something. You interacted with me, and let's let, let, let's call a spade a spade. I invaded yeah. your personal space and I said, "Look at me." No <laughs> such thing as personal space on Twitter. <laughs> so so true. But now when I think back to it, I, that is. That is exactly what I did. It was just me being shameless self-promoter, reaching out to people and saying, hi, I'm CK, I've done this thing. That is 100% what I did, and I can't stress to other artists <laughs> enough that the only reason... Hello? Golding writer, creator, oh, re- US, US premiere is because... You, US films premiere is because you saw me banging on about my thing and said, who is this guy? Watched my film and said, oh, this is great. Would you like to come to the States? It's like being on the on the on the, um uh, in the middle of traffic when you're driving a car, and there's all these people there waiting at the stoplight, sitting in traffic, and it's like, you know, you take a look at the person next to you, and they're listening to a cool song or something, or having a cool conversation. You're actually eavesdropping, and you're like, hey, <laughs> hi, you know. <laughs> but you and, know. Um, yeah. I'm Go glad on. that we met, and I, I don't want our listeners to think this is just going to be about all about how we met and how wonderful Twitter is. Um, but I do want to get down to this thing. You won some awards with 61 Hugs, and that was your first actual documentary film that you, that you made. Uh, obviously, uh, you're in my podcast because you shot that documentary, and I featured it in the film festival um, as a mobile film shot with a smartphone. Um, one of the things I love about what you're doing, though, in, in the true documentary style, is that it, it's more about capturing uh, the story than it is about how you capture it. And so that just happens to be a byline that you captured it with your phone. But the phone is the tool the camera that you have with you at all times. Congratulations it's, again on, on those awards, by the way. Thanks a million. And it's quite chilling what you just said there, because I was that exact observation was has been very prevalent in my thoughts this week, actually. Um, I can't remember why I've been thinking about it a lot, but you've just encapsulated my approach with delicious accuracy. I 100%, I very rarely think about the actual fact that the majority of my content is shot on a film. It's something that I almost never think about because that's not what I'm about. It just happens to be the fact that whenever something of intrigue or interest happens, I can only use what I've got on me at the time. And 
in every instance, that just happens to be the phone in my pocket. So it's not like I'm 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 a little bit inverted as a creator because I don't necessarily think of an idea, conceive of a plan, then go out and and execute that. For the most part, the ideas and the plans just land in my lap. And by virtue of that, well, what else am I how else am I going to be able to document this bizarre incident other than what's in my pocket right now? So so you're absolutely right, Susie. Well, unless and, and let me say something to people out there making documentaries. If you're making an educational documentary, you know, that, that does go into a lot of planning and things like that, and, and, I, and I get that. I mean, they're, just like there are different genres of, of films, there are kind of like different types of documentaries that, that you can make. But the, the heart of a documentary, which is documenting things as they are happening... I mean, the way that you do it and the way that it, I don't like to say the word should, but uh, the way that's most um, common would be pull out your phone and capture that moment right there. And that's what, that's what you did. And there was a little planning on, on 61 hugs, but still um, we can, you know, we, we have two, previous podcasts with you that talk about 61 hugs and that's not that that's just something i wanted to touch on here um episode 44 and episode 57 of the sbp podcast if listeners want to uh listen to the details of that but let's talk a little bit about what now that you're making more documentaries i mean you just you just finished a web series the bench and uh, and now you're embarking on another documentary, um, and I want you to share a little bit about that. So, at the time of recording this, in exactly eight—I mean, you know, twelfth of January, twenty twenty. Let's put it that way: twelfth of January, twenty twenty. My first documentary of the year will be released, which is titled "Waiting with a Killer," and. I actually, you just reminded me that we have recorded two podcasts. I actually forgot about the second one, which is so rude of me. You're right. And it was during that podcast that I referenced the origins of this, if you remember. Because in brief, on the, I think it was the second, yeah, the second day that I was in San Diego, I was waiting at a bus stop and a gentleman walked walked over to the bus stop, also waiting for a bus, and... He started talking to me, which is absolutely fine. I'll talk to anybody. And we got on the same bus. He sat next to me. And as the conversation progressed, he told me all kinds of things about his his, his beliefs about the U.S. government. And, yeah, then as the conversation progressed, he told me that when he was at school and he was 11, he killed a – this is his story – he killed a fellow classmate who was bullying him. So when he told me that, at the time, just before he told me that, I was actually vlogging, so I was recording our conversation and our and our interaction anyway. Then I stopped recording, then we spoke further, then that's when he told me the, the, the revelation. And his story was just somewhat implausible. Not from a, not from a, it wasn't factually correct. I have no idea whether it was or it wasn't. I mean, it was implausible that he just offered this information to someone he just met. And then he went into the... Macro detail of what happened, and so I just said to him, "Listen, I I I naturally film a lot of 
these kind of interactions with people. Can I just document our conversation? He was, yeah, feel free. So to conclude, Waiting with a Killer is a 35-minute documentary documenting our conversation from start to finish. The um, I, Yeah, and the thing is, I remember when, when you shared that with me, um, even during the podcast, and um, it's... It, I wasn't shocked at the fact that he shared that with you uh, based on what I got to know about you and also because I live in San Diego and I know that people in San Diego are quite open, as you found out in many other instances, right, CK? Um, yes, certainly. Yeah, and the and the fact is that um, CK is um, just to let um, our listeners know, and, and you should venture over to at CK Golding, uh, G O L D, like gold, I I N G, um, and and follow him. Um, CK is a very charming, has a very charming uh personality and and character. He's a character, uh, by nature because he's a very unique person has very unique outlooks, and you can have some very interesting conversations with CK. So it's no shock to me that anyone that CK starts a conversation with, at least 98% of the time, uh, would engage CK, but it only takes a split second for someone to trust you and to share with you or hug you, right? Uh, if that if that's your interpretation, I will happily accept it and thank you for it. Yeah. Um, so when he was in San Diego, um, you know, we didn't get to hang out as much as I wanted to. Um, but one of the things that I noticed was that you were you were you fit right in. You really enjoyed San Diego. But that one instance, I remember when you shared it with me and um, it really did touch you. Uh, it moved you that this guy just shared that with you. It did a lot. Uh, it, 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 um, it was, yeah, without question, it shocked me. The over, I, I think, I think the prevailing emotion, Susie, in all honesty, was alarm and not necessarily because of the the nature of what he told me, just the fact that he told me for it, it. The only way I can explain it is how many times have you been in your life? How many times have you been on public transport? And how many times has someone started talking to you? Now the chances are that's happened quite a few times. Of those, how many times have some has someone told you that at school they killed someone? Now I would argue that the, that the number dwarfs to zero at that point. So just based on that alone, it was just, um, I, you know, luckily for you, I can't swear on this podcast, but it was a, um, it was, it was just quite, it was, it, 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 it was quite a thing. I can't share with you on my personal side, um, too much on that. Uh, well, for one thing is, is that I, I don't really, uh, ride too much on public transportation, but when I do, um, it's a little funner than driving my car sometimes, even though I love to drive. 
because there's someone usually when I'm in my car, I'm alone going from here to there, from there to here, you know, that kind of a thing. But I do engage with people and um, there's something there's something really cool about talking to people that you've never spoken to before or you met. You see, look, CK, you and I have this one thing in common. Now, you know, you meet a lot of people and I meet a lot of people. And as human beings, we connect with a lot of people. Uh, but that doesn't mean that we have a lot in common with every single person we connect with, right? Correct. There's one thing that you and I have in common <clears throat> that I think is part of this conversation in a way, and that is the fact that we're kind of intrigued with people and we have almost no fear of engaging into a conversation with a complete stranger. But most people do not. Most people do not what? Do not engage with total strangers. Okay. <clears throat> I mean, would you agree with that? Um, <sighs> Unless they are like you and in instigating. Yeah, I, I, okay, okay. You know, most, I, I, most people don't approach other strangers and start engaging into a conversation is what I'm trying to say. That, that's, that's, that's a reasonable assertion, yeah. Yeah, so when you did this, I mean, so... Let, let, let's backtrack a little bit. You came to San Diego. That was quite a challenge in itself for you <laughs> at the time. You were like, oh, okay, hold on. Um, mm. But you you had a feeling about your trip that, that there was a, you know, you and I both believe things happen for a reason. Um, you had a feeling of that. that and, and this happened on your second day. Um, and you were here a couple days before the film festival took place. So already when you were at the film festival, right, things were happening at the film festival, exciting things. But you had you had already had this conversation with this guy. I'm just curious, as Susie Botello, right, from the film festival, did during that time that you were at the film festival, did you know you were you were going to create a documentary film from this? Uh. I, I I knew in some way that encounter would form a story of some description that I would have produced, but I wasn't necessarily aware what, obviously, I mean, it goes without saying, I wasn't aware what that would look like or the form it would take, but the reason I asked him if he'd be open to me recording stroke filming our conversation was because it fascinated me. And I only, I only, I only release content that fascinates me. And by proxy, I'm delighted that it fascinates other people. So I just thought in some way this will exist online at some point because he's said it, because he's given me permission. So to answer your question, sorry, that was very long winded. So to answer your question, we're in a I podcast, did, please take your time. <laughs> I did, I did, I did know in some way it would exist, but the way it's actually, the way it's actually manifested, I didn't really anticipate that, you know? Yeah. And, you know, there's there's this whole discussion that you and I have about, and and we just touched on that is um, about the smartphone filmmaking, but the way that you do it, um, which I really I really have to admire, um, and I wish more people did it. But you 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 just said something 
that's very um, unique. A lot of people will go out and and record things and conversations and things like that. They don't necessarily always do anything with it, but it doesn't hurt to do what you just said you did, which is ask permission. That's something uh, professional filmmakers tend to do uh, when they're creating documentaries, is, you know, getting basically a talent release, uh, you know, uh, it's it's like an agreement. Hey, I'm recording you. Are you okay with this? And I'm, I may be doing something with this, right? Everything you said is, is accurate, but I, the, the reason I asked for permission is probably a little bit disconnected to what you just said. So the reason I asked him permission wasn't necessarily so that I could clear myself to use it. The reason I asked him permission is, 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 is critical to how I produce content of this nature. Everything I ever do when I'm filming someone, my only concern is making sure the contributor, i.e. the person I'm talking to, is 100% comfortable. The reason for that is because that is when people share, disclose, unveil bigger truths. So just imagine, let, let's just take a step back, for example, and go back to the second he told me what happened when he was a kid. If I just whipped out my phone and started recording, his first thought, what, who, what the, who's this guy? What's he doing? You know, immediately he's on. immediately he's on the defensive. Not necessarily, but possibly. He's thinking, what's this guy just whipped his phone out for? So what, what I'm basically saying is me asking him permission was my way of showing him that I'm a human. I respect his privacy. So I just want to get this up front straight away. Do you mind if I do this? Because the minute you do that, I'm thinking, well, at least this guy had the decency to ask. And it just comes down to just relationship building. If there's one thing that I can do with with almost military precision it's cult of building relationships with people very very quickly and that just comes down to just respecting people as a human so the the permission thing had nothing to do per se with release and the rights to use it it was just building a relationship very quickly and showing him i respect your privacy so i'm just going to ask you this question can i does that make sense yeah well see i i've done that before but then i have people um ask and so I just volunteer. I may do something with this because people will mm. ask, well, sure, that's fine, but what are you going to do with it? Mm. And I don't know where that, I mean, no one's ever whipped out a phone and started recording me randomly. I just don't encounter that. I, I do that, but I don't encounter yeah. people doing that with me. And so, Same. you know, it's like, I don't, I wouldn't know uh, if for most people, if like, you know, you're talking something to someone and you're doing something interesting and they're like, Hey, I, I want to record that. I don't know if their perception is they're just recording the, that for themselves or, yeah. or sharing it with their friends or if they're, if it's going to end up on HBO or something, you know? I mean, the thing is, the thing is, I mean, you know, even uh, we're probably, we're probably getting a little bit too macro here to be totally yeah. honest with <laughs> but, you know, even the fact that I did ask his permission, that was off camera. So he can suddenly pipe up and say, I'm not giving you any permission. And there's no proof that he did. Right. But but again, we're getting a little bit macro here anyway. So. Yeah. yeah, no, it's all good. All right. So listen, um, share a little more about um, about what you're going to do with this film. And and also, if you don't mind touching, um, like to get what you know now that the 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 film festival 
our film festival. You know, we're we're preparing to start really promoting our film festival here in San Diego this year. Um, if you don't mind, really quick, uh, would you mind um, sharing with our listeners who may possibly be thinking about coming out to San Diego or San Diego filmmakers coming to our film festival uh, about the experience and the international experience that you experienced? <laughs> yeah, you know, I think uh, one of the things that I, uh, the, one of the things I appreciated most about the International Mobile Film Festival was the breadth the breadth of contingents i know there was there was there was two people from you know there was ross and kimberly from australia there was me from the uk the the majority were indigenous americans obviously where else where else did people travel from susie remind uh, me there was uh, the couple from ukraine and there was uh, matteo from italy with his wife Correct. And I, I, that is one of the things that I most enjoyed about the festival because it, it, it almost, it almost vindicated, I mean, it almost like made us think, yeah, wow, you know, this is, this is an ascending mode of storytelling, um, which is what I think it is. It's probably, the, it's, it's probably the youngest form of storytelling, isn't it? Cell phone filming. And it was just beautiful that it's got to the stage now where people are, are have such commitment to their craft and their art that they're willing to travel across oceans at <laughs> the risk of sounding horribly corny. It was just it was just glorious that it's got that it's getting to that it's reached that stage. And so yeah, so that was one thing I appreciated. But above all else, it was just the community spirit in the sense of everybody was just being there to support each other. We all wanted each other to win. Not win an award, just win at just win at the art of telling stories, right? Right. right. So that's what I most enjoyed. Um, it was just it was just two days or three days if you include the meetup on day one. I guess it was just it was just a joy and such, and, and genuine friendships extended beyond there. You know, I, I still chat and hang out with Ross and Kimberly probably more than anybody online now, which was which which is great. Yeah, there so, were there were a number of people there that you that that just love you. Uh, you know, Steve also. Uh, I, I was just going to reference. I was just going to reference Steve, and yeah, I I I I, 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 I feel remiss for not mentioning him just then. But yeah, certainly Kimberly Ross and Steve would be probably my three favorite humans from it. But, I, but I, in terms of who I still continue talking to now, I mean, Steve was just so supportive of me as a human as an artist and I, yeah i can't i can't fault that guy and it was great to see his film that was that's done well since that as well yeah did you see the, uh did you watch assimilate was the by the way guys were plugging in steve uh, as we should as we should congratulations on assimilate bud yeah um so listen okay now let's get back to you um uh, this film that you're making, there's some there's some news that we want to share with everyone. Why don't you go ahead and just just plug that in for everybody because um, it's pretty exciting. Um, sorry, what news are we talking? <laughs> what We're news talking are we talking <laughs> about? This latest documentary that that you made. Yes. What would you like to know? Yes. What would you like to know, Susie Botella? So uh, where 
I know that it's not out yet. And when we do this podcast, uh, which comes out on Tuesday, um, it won't be available yet. But they can still follow you, follow the progress, and it's going to come out. And um, just share a little more about that stuff. Well, it is to be released on Sunday, the 12th of January. And so far, the preliminary... Well, the previews have been quite mind Let me tell you something that I find really funny at the moment that's happening to me a lot. So anytime, even even when, whenever I release anything now, like say the bench, for argument's sake, people are doing this really interesting thing. When I say people, I mean people that I don't know personally, just people that follow me online or whatever. Um, people are almost using 61 hugs as a yardstick for anything I do now. So I've heard a few times... Jesus, that's better than 61 hogs. And I've heard that with alarming frequency. And it's like, mm. hang on a minute. I'm not I'm not competing against it. I'm not I'm not competing against anything I've ever done. Um really, it's really interesting how the first preview that I sent waiting with the killer two is like that's just blown my mind and it it it, it more so than 61 hogs. And I'm like, you know, that, that that's great to hear, but I'm not competing against me here. <laughs> it does ha- it does have a common thing it's it's um ck look you're an awesome storyteller and when you narrate these stories and the way that you put them together and the way that you're stringing along the story it's it's unique and it's very captivating well that's beautiful to hear and I don't want to sound, but based on that long rant I just shared, actually, that wasn't a rant. That was a moderate rant. That was a mant. All right. <laughs> Let's just say that was a mant. A mant. It's uh, a new word. <laughs> it is. It is. And I wasn't, I, I'm super grateful because fundamentally what these people are saying is Jesus, 61 hugs were stunning, but this is even more so. So that's a nice place to be as a creator, right? Yeah. Um, I, get, I don't even necessarily know why I went on to that rant, but it has been happening. Um, but what you just said is really generous, and I thank you for it because I'm, I'm, I am obs- I'm obsessive about the viewers' ex- I'm obsessive about the viewers' experience with the things I do, to the point whereby, like, I'm thinking, you know, I'm not precious as a creator, so like sometimes I'll just cut scenes out because I'm thinking that that there's potential for that to bore someone, and I'm obsessive with people's time because I know how obsessive I'm about my own so let me get just to put that into context when I say I know how obsessive I'm about my own I'd like your opinion on this you know when you watch a film Susie whether it's an indie in fact no let's make this specifically about indies you know when you watch a film from someone and there's like two minutes of opening credits my immediate response to that is I at this precise moment you're really annoying me Mm -hmm. yeah I'm actually annoyed with trailers from indie films where the entire trailer seems to be all about the credits. What do you mean? So I've seen some... Like, some... The title, like the title card and made by, produced by, all that kind of business. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I mean, correct. But I guess what I'm saying there is that I'm just, I'm just stunned that people have this belief as a... And by the way, I use this term to describe myself as well. I'm stunned that as a nobody, people don't have enough respect for other people's attention and other people's time. So I'm, I'm, I'm just stunned how many people have titles like, um, I'm trying, trying to think of a random name here, like a brown box production, 
mate. I'm like, who who needs to know that this is a brown box production? <laughs> it's, just, it's, just a, it's just a really weird strategy from, from my point of view. So what I'm basically saying there, that's why everything I make jumps straight in. Like, there's no time for nonsense. Nobody cares who CK Golding is. Um, you know, it, it it's just like any story. I, I just put out a an article about our theme this year uh, for the film festival. And it, while I was writing it, um, it, and mind you, I don't edit too much. On I don't know if you do this or not, but when, when, I, when I start editing, I never end up putting it out. So I avoided doing any editing. So I was just writing it. And the one thing that dawned on me was that stories are stories, right? You, you think beginning, middle, and end. But in reality, right, in actuality, a story never really quite has a beginning. And it never really quite has an end because it started before you started telling that story. And it <coughs> ends. It never really ends. It just continues until you yeah. stop is the end, right? I can't argue with that. I can't argue with that. And I guess, I guess, I guess to conclude again, this mant, I get what you were just saying about me being an impressive storyteller. It's just because I'm just obsessive about it and I'm obsessive about not wasting anybody's time. So it's like, if I was watching this, what's going to capture my attention immediately and what's going to sustain it? I, I don't really look, let's say that documentary is 35 minutes. I don't look at it. I, I'm only concerned with every 30 seconds and how can I cook them for another 30 seconds and another 30 seconds and another 30 seconds. Eventually you'll get to 35 minutes in an ideal world without realizing you've just watched a collection of 35 seconds. That's kind of how I break down everything I do. I look at it incrementally and think, okay, I need, I need them to, I need to buy, 35 second chunks of this person's life that's how i look at when i'm assembling a story so when you say that the way i i thread it together just i'm, I'm super grateful for that because that's vindicate that's vindicating feedback well and and you know that i'm being genuine when i give you feedback anyways um and and that is a true observation and i think there are listeners who follow you who probably are some of the ones that have actually said that to you or com made that comment and will probably agree with me that, yes, it's the way that you narrate and and throw these stories together. I wouldn't say throw, but, more, <laughs> you know, stitch them together, <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. which is, is very, it's intriguing, it's captivating, and going back to when you and I first met and um, and you threw that link at me of the 61 hugs and I watched that. You, you had already published that, you know, months and months, probably a year before. And but for me, it was the first time. And I sat down and I remember I think it was like, you know, like a Sunday morning or something for me or a Saturday morning. And I just sat there and I watched it and I was just like so moved and so touched by that story and the way that you presented it, um, I emailed you right away. I was like, I feel like I have to ask you. I have to invite you. Your film can does not qualify for the film festival. We already had our deadline, but I want you to come and be a part of and share that story with our film festival in San Diego. And you were so, uh, let me think about that. <laughs> Is that what I said? You'll have to forgive me. My memory is not as yeah. good as you. Yeah, me, but it, was, yeah. it was like, I appreciate that. I, you know, but let me think about that a little bit. Yeah. 
I probably, I, 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 I'm almost convinced I'd have been a little bit more. Um, my response would have been not that a Brit. <laughs> Bro, well, uh, I'm trying get, to give I, a two line because I don't want to put words in your <laughs> mouth. You know, I don't want to sit here and read it. <laughs> yeah, I, I assure your listeners that I flowered my reply up a little and bit. And you more. flattered me a little bit too because probably. of my observation. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> but yeah, correct. Yeah, but um, a, 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 a small correction. I think I think by the time you watched it, it had only been in existence for actually probably a month tops. It, it wasn't like a year. It hadn't been out that long at all, actually. I think it had just been about a month by the time you saw it. But anyway, immaterial. Yeah, no, it was it was just fantastic. And and again, it's just that way that you string along. Uh, you were sharing... Um, uh, did, okay, let me rehash about this documentary. Um, you went back home from San Diego, and this was probably twirling around in your head, right? Because we had spoken about it. Twirling around in my head is just—it <laughs> is just a perfect—is the perfect um, description. Description, and let me let me just take you through my process as a as a as a producer of that documentary. And I don't recommend this to anybody because it's not it's not conducive to a easy life. But this is my process. <laughs> like I'm not a pen and paper kind of guy. So the biggest object, the, the, the biggest challenge I had with this documentary, Waiting with a Killer, the biggest challenge I had was, it might not look it when you're watching it, but that documentary is basically a collection of disparate, disparate and disconnected incidents, right? But I know that I can't, release a documentary that's disparate and disconnected incidents because it's just going to annoy it's going to annoy viewers like what's this got to do with that what's this what's this got to do with that this doesn't make any sense but uh, but i knew that they all had a place in the documentary but it was my job to figure out how are these are these as disconnected as i think they are and so i sometimes had to just figure out ways of bridging between one scene and the next in a way that didn't seem like a bridge it seemed like it was just a perfectly harmonious segue to the next thing and the way I do that, I don't write anything down. I don't plan. I don't structure. Everything's in my head. And and again, I don't say I don't I don't say that lightly because I don't think it's conducive to an easy state of mind because my mind is chaos. But I trusted my, I trusted I trusted my brain to assemble it and give me the answer. And at certain points, and I realized, oh yeah, what if I did this between that scene and that scene? That makes sense. That makes sense. So it, it's 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 a it's a very chaotic way of doing it, but it's the way that's never let me down. Um, <laughs> I I say I did say twirling in your head because I know you, um, <laughs> and and I knew that. And and here's the other thing: you went and made a series before you made that documentary. I did, yeah, I did. After yeah. you were here, so I can only imagine. While you were going through that series, I, I just think this is a big feat for you. You know, you're kind of a hero to me because for me, I'm sort of like, I got to do this now, you know, kind of a person. I got to get this done now while it's fresh in me and things like that. But uh, you were deliberating this in your head and you're, well, not deliberating. You knew you were going to do something with it, you know, but it's in there. <laughs> it's in your box in your head. And meanwhile, you are structuring another project, which is a seven-part, right? Seven-episode series, The Bench. Yeah. 
And then, of course, you capture all that, then you have to edit it together, you have to put that thing, then you have to promote it, and all these things, and then you have to go back to this documentary. Like, how does that happen, CK? Because that, that, to me, is, is just, it's, it's really interesting, to say the least. What? Thank you. Um, the only way I can exp- the only way I can explain how is if 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 we note what I want to accomplish from the point of view of creating content for some of the world's most established streamers, right? Well, when I say creating, you know, writing, producing, creating, etc. Now, be- you, you, for me, it's not compatible to have an ambition like that. Meanwhile, resting on my laurels and the, in inverted commas, success of 61 Hugs, those two things aren't compatible. So I know that as a writer and a creator, I have to have, I have to have proof of concept and like I can write, I can be, again, in inverted commas, I can be prolific if need be. And I'm just aware that that's just the nature of the beast. Like if someone said to me, CK, you're really, if a producer said to me, CK, we've watched these last two things you've done and they're really interesting. Come in and have a chat. If they said to me, so what do you have in your bag of tricks next? If I looked at them incredulously and said, "Um, a cheese sandwich, I don't know that's the answer they're looking for. So, (laughs) so... So um, I do have the luxury of being able to say, and if if that if that meeting happened tomorrow, I will tell them immediately what the next three things are going to be are, and I won't be making those up. They are the next thing, three things I'm going to be. But I suppose what I'm saying is because I know that this is what I want to do, I better have content ready to go. So um, and interestingly, with this documentary, waiting with a killer, for that exact reason, I decided not to bother going down the route of submitting it to festivals. My biggest problem with submitting content to film festivals and documentary festivals is that means it can't live online right Mm. usually usually for you to submit something to a documentary festival or a film festival of note it can't be anywhere else online because they want it to be like an exclusive thing and for me that's counterintuitive to where i want to be i want as many people see my content now i'm not that bothered about going through like a six month cycle of sending stuff out to festivals really um but anyway so to answer your question directly um I suppose because I do enjoy it and I do love what I do from a creator and producer point of view, it's not that challenging for me to have to be juggling three different projects at any given time and release them in quick succession because it just enables me to share stuff that I love doing anyway. So, uh, yeah. Mm. Um, I still think that you should submit it to, you should investigate some film festivals to submit it to, though. I, I, I don't know that you're wrong, actually. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't necessarily disagree. And this is something I've been thinking. I, 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 don't, I, I don't necessarily disagree, but I was thinking to myself, because I did, I did a little bit of research today, a place I could send it to, and I was like, because mm. it, it, it was no mean feat. The, the, the marketing campaign for 61 Hugs was no mean feat, the amount of time I spent reaching out to people. Obviously, it reached dividends in the end, yeah. but that cycle in itself is taxing. And I thought to myself, wow, do I do I want to throw myself headlong into that again? I mean, I definitely do, but I don't know if it necessarily has to be with this given documentary right now. I think the next time I'm going to throw myself into that level of commitment from a marketing and um, from a marketing point of view will probably be for the train. And I've spoken to you about the train before, right? Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah. yeah. Like that's probably going to be the next flagship thing that I release, and I'll certainly go down that route for that probably. But anyway, immaterial. I I, I thank you for your observation regarding. <laughs> I thank you for your observation regarding um, the the quick successive release of the bench and and this. Would my Wait. observation maybe include? I don't know if you think this is accurate, but like your brain is like a revolving doors, you know, uh, type of a scene in your head. Where you're entering, things are coming in, and and you're you know twirling around in there, and then they come out. Uh, sort of you know depending. I think timing has a lot to do with it. But whatever it is that you do, however you do it, it the timing always ends up being pretty cool because it works out in the end for you. Timing in what? Timing in what sense? Because for example, uh, like what I was just saying earlier about how this this documentary was just. It's it's in your head, right? So, <laughs> um, you go in the door and the revolving doors thing, and you could twirl around and go in circles in there until you decide to come out. Yes. And this documentary was sitting there going in circles until the timing of now that you decided, boom, <laughs> it's coming out. <laughs> oh yes, I so I understand your point. So for context for people for context for your listeners, just to give them some parameters, the encounter between me and the guy that told me what he did when he was at school, that conversation happened in April 2019. And this documentary is now going to release January 2020. So that's eight months between point A and point B. Eight months between the conversation and me releasing the documentary. Um, I'm actually quite proud of myself for having that level of patience because I'm inherently not patient. Me and my brother laugh about this all the time because my brother and I are so similar in so many ways, but the main way we diverge is he's patient and I'm not. He's always been patient. If he wants something, he'll happily wait till he's in a position to do it. But I've always been the kind of guy, oh my God, I love this. I've got to, I've got to put this out. So for me to have sat on something this, this implausible for eight months is very unlike me. But, but, but I guess I had the luxury of knowing that I actually, I guess I had the luxury of knowing I had another project that was doing really well at the time, which was 61 hugs. Right. So I didn't feel like I had to have something out in the universe because I already did. Is that, you know? Yeah. Um, but equally, equally, I suppose additional to that is that I also didn't know how to produce the damn thing. <laughs> to be honest, like, how, how can I make sense of this story? Cause I knew if I just released if I just released Waiting with a Killer as one guy talking to another from start to finish, that's not really that fulfilling as a viewing experience. So I had to figure out how to bookend it with actually something that was more immersive than that. That's um, part, you know, stories and timing are very well connected, um, you know, and the story of, of everything has to do with the passing of time. There's no way to get around that. You're absolutely right, and 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 had I not waited that eight months, because interestingly, not not everything is necessarily clear what when this happened, but had I not had I not waited those eight months, and half of that documentary wouldn't have been wouldn't have happened, because you know when I got asked for the autograph, for example, yeah, all of that stuff happened a few months after my encounter with after my encounter, so there were certain things that wouldn't that had I released it straight away, it would have been a it would have been a lesser documentary for it. And it, it I, I was able to document the whole journey I went on because I gave myself eight months to do it. And you're the storyteller. 
So there's a lot. I mean, we're not talking about a storyteller being a robot. We're talking about a human being, a human person who is um, a story in himself. Because CK is a walking story himself, right? Just like you are, just like I am, just like all of us. And we all have these encounters and moments in our lives that are part of our story. Um, and to have the storyteller patiently, uh, I don't want to say chew, but process a plan or an action, um, it all comes into play together, right? In the end. Yes. Yep. Uh, yeah, it, it, it really does. But. I, yeah, yeah, you know, I, 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 yeah, I have nothing further to add. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. Well, yeah, I mean, some of us, we can all talk about, you know, yeah, I walked over to the coffee shop and bought a cup of coffee, right? Um, but, you know, it's a different story is I walked over to the coffee shop and I, bought a cup of coffee and met someone who reminded me of this other person that I met the last time I was there. And then this other thing happened, you know, so I, I just think there's things that happen in our lives that end up in the, in the end story, I, I should say that we tell at a later time. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Unquestionably. And we're going to see that in, in the documentary. <laughs> yeah you know I, I i don't know it's it's difficult it's difficult for me to separate myself from any project from an observer's point of view that's certainly how i assemble it i always i, I don't necessarily produce content from a writer creative point of view and I, I mentioned this uh, maybe maybe 10 minutes 10 15 minutes ago that i'm obsessive about the the the, the, the viewer's perspective uh so I, I welcome anybody to share their share their opinions on me and on everything. Like, how credible do you think Matthew's story is? I mean, you. I mean, you. You feel free to tell answer me that question, Susie Botella. I can tell you from my own personal experiences because I've had experiences with people who've had uh, mental issues and who yeah. continue to have them. And yeah. I think um, what happens when people listen to them talk is that they can't connect their stories and their when they're communicating with people they start sort of going from one thing to another they're in pieces right yeah yeah and so it becomes very easy for someone like you and me well maybe not someone like you and me but you know the the average person to say well there there's a disconnect here so that disconnection means that there there's there's no reality to what they're saying and we bridge things like you were talking about bridges and, and stories. And this guy is sharing story, a story with you. And there's some disconnection in the pieces that he's telling you. And I think for an average viewer, unless they sit down and watch the whole thing, or unless they actually watch your film, as opposed to sitting at the bus stop with the guy, they're not going to get that. And they, you know, they're just not going to comprehend I believe everything that that guy was saying was some came from something that actually happened. If that makes any sense. I mean, he was talking about conspiracies and things like that, right? That we all hear about. And some of them sound really crazy. I don't, I don't 
say, I'm not going to say and disregard anything he said as a lie or something he just made up, you know? Um, and the what happened to him was so personal and him sharing it with you. I believe he was he was speaking the truth with that. Interesting. Someone said something really interesting to me, and I, the thing this person said to me hadn't at the time seen the documentary. In fact, he still hasn't seen it. We just He's just someone I met at an event. We just connected straight away. We got on. He, he's really, he subsequently watched my series, The Bench. He just loved it. He was so, he was so um, generous with his feedback. So then he just asked me, what are you doing next? I told him the, I told him the structure of this documentary, what it was about. And he was like, that just sounds quite, that, that sounds remarkable. And so the, the, the thing I find fascinating about that CK is that whatever that, you know, that story that he told you, whether it's true or not to him, it's true, which is a really interesting perspective. Um, yeah. There, so some of the, like the conspiracy things are observations of him from Things he's, he's connecting, things he's encountered with things that people say and things like that. But I really believe the the, the just of that story that he shared with you, I, I really believe that happened in, in almost 100% in the way that he is communicating with everyone through your film. That's really interesting. That's really interesting because, yeah, okay. And and that and that and that's the joy and that that's the joy of personal stories, I guess, is that there's never unless you're the person that lived that personal story, there's never going to be a definitive resolution. Right. Well, there's perspective, right? Yeah, correct, absolutely, and 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 I and I and I one hundred percent embrace that gray and ambiguity. I I love it, I, and it's not it's not for me it's not it's, it's not for me to say yay or nay. I just I just love hearing people's interpretation of what he said. It fascinates me. It genuinely does, um, and 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 it extends it extends to all our encounters, right? You know, you, every everything you hear, even the more innocuous ones, like when someone says, "If you'll forgive me for sounding crass for a second, Jesus, I went, you know, I, in in you know, I've slept with fifty thousand women." <laughs> it's like okay, interesting. Um, you just you just never know in any given encounter the credibility of anything you hear, I guess. But yeah, that that that's the joy of that's the joy of this documentary for me. It's uh, you know that's his story. That's his story. And you know the need that he felt to that you almost hear the despair in in him when he's. Uh, I don't know that I want to give this away, but he's basically alluding to proof there being proof, right? Um, which he can't pull out of his pocket right now type of a thing. But he yeah. wants to confirm that with someone. He wants to be believed. And if I had murdered someone or stolen something or done something that is looked down upon in any way, shape, or form, if I have to confess that for whatever reason, I'm not going to go so so far as to try and prove it, mm. right? You know, to say mm. there's proof of this bad thing I did, you know, but I want to get this off my chest because it was to that level of people need to understand, you know, and again, this is somebody who was feeling probably tortured by this event. I don't know if he's tortured. I don't know that he's proud because towards the end, he certainly says some things that make you 
believe that he's not proud, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, I think what I was just going to say is the inner dialogue that I've had with myself as I've been thinking, is this, is this, is this, because annoyingly, I, I mean, had I, if I had his name, for example, as in his surname, I could clearly maybe go and research it uh, unless his name has been changed, which often happens anyway. Um, but in the absence of that, there's no means for me to even research it on a, on the most basic level. Um, but I guess what I've been, you know, while I've been having this conversation myself in my head saying like, wow, what did, is, is this an actual occurrence that happened however many years ago? Um, one thing I've had, cause I do watch a lot of true life doc. I do watch a lot of true life documentaries anyway, where heinous things happen. Mm-hmm. And these people, it's sometimes, I think we need to remind ourselves that these people are actually walking amongst us at any given time. Yes, they are. That, and that's something I've had to remind myself a lot because depending on however much of this you find improbable, I think one thing I found improbable was the fact that I was at a bus stop with a guy that says he killed someone, but that in itself isn't that improbable because they're walking amongst us every day of the week anyway. These people do not stay in prison for all their life, even if they kill someone. They're, you know, they're just very... They're, the only ones that stay in, the prison, in prison for all their life are in the absolute minority. Yes, and of course, look, like I said earlier, you know without getting personal myself, you know, because I I don't want to share that. Um, But I've spoken to people who who have confessed things to me um, Mm. that are just things that are unbelievable. You know what I'm saying? And, um, And I know them to be truth, you know. So I do know at at on the on the flip side of that, um, as you know, as you've experienced me, you know that I have a very optimistic attitude towards complete strangers. Mm. And, um, and I, I, I do, you know, I do see uh, two sides of a coin with, with most people. But I also know that, that there is a dark side. <laughs> Not to bring Star Wars into it, but there is a dark side to a, to a lot of people that we don't even know that exists. Um, and we, we even spoke about a dark side that doesn't have to be some, something that hurts other people, but that hurts themselves. Like we were talking about in, in our podcast, I think it was in our first podcast, um, about Robin Williams. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. You know, well, well remembered. that's a different example, but it's an example of, the things that people feel and that they've encountered and their experiences and things that you may know nothing about. Yeah. So. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <clears throat> so there's no reason to, to doubt. I'm, I'm thinking, but of course there's also a lot of reason to doubt, right? <laughs> I think, I, th- I think that's a very accurate, that's a very accurate representation of it. Um, and, I suppose, because 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 I pride myself on this is something that everybody says, so it's going to sound really trite coming from me. I'll just warn everybody: this is going to sound really trite, and everyone's like, "Yeah, we all say that." But I, because I consider myself to be above average at reading people's behaviors and um, micro expressions and all that kind of jazz. I suppose that's why I'm reasonably adept to doing what I do. It's just I'm very good at being able to read people and then adjust accordingly. Um, but with this guy, you know, 
what watching our encounter back, I'm looking for, I'm always looking for leaks and things that either suggest one way or the other, whether this is a authentic story and everything I would usually do to give me the answer to whether or not this is a genuine story is leaning more towards it being genuine than not based on the markers I would normally look for. Um, but that in itself is just, again, that's just my, that's just my interpretation of it. I'm no, I'm no, I'm no expert. But again, 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 you know, there there are some bits that that there are some there are some question marks at certain points. But I don't know, I don't know, Susie Botello. I <laughs> look. I'll tell you something. There's a there's a friend that I know that did a, a documentary years and years ago. Yeah. Um, and it had to do with uh, uh, child protective services, and there were a. Uh, you know, she reached out for witnesses and people who had experienced, um, you know, wrongdoings by by this yeah. organization. And um, she said there were hundreds of people that came forward and they had to share their story. And she said, I knew that only a number of them would even get into this documentary. And even of those, only a little bit of their stories, you know what I'm saying, their interviews. But all of them, she allowed all of them to come forth and tell and share that story, their stories with her. And uh, they broke down and they cried and they wept and it was emotional, even for her, of course, to, to listen to all this. And there's one thing that happens when people um, are being filmed, like when you were filming this guy. And with regular cameras, it doesn't matter. There's a psychological attention that you're giving somebody that you're saying, I want to record you, you know, that, um, and just where I'm going with this, you're, you're going to get that in a second here. Um, that is therapeutic in many ways for the person that's expressing and, and communicating their story and sharing that story with you. Even if they never see it again, you've done something to help them and you've allowed them and you've given them that. that that's a gift that you've given them. So there's something about you listening to them, sitting down and listening to their story without judgment, right? And there's something about recording that on top of it. And so for this guy, Matthew, even if he never watches that, right? You've done him a favor that he was able to express that and communicate that. He knew it was being filmed. He's gotten it off his chest, you know? So I think you did him uh, a little bit of therapy there. There is no, with, with very few exceptions, there is no topic anybody enjoys more than the topic of themselves. <laughs> Let's let's be honest. Let's be honest. And uh, I, so, by by virtue of that, you're probably right. You're probably right. But I don't think I don't think that you know that that applies to that applies to both ends of the scale. That applies to someone who has something quite heinous to share, and that applies to someone who has something deeply, deeply boring to share. It's just everybody wants to share their shit, don't they? At the end of the day, everybody wants to be heard. It's something about victims, too. Uh, victims of something. Whichever yeah. way you want to 
that's a perspective thing also. You know, he was sharing that he was abused and things like that as well. He was. Yeah. He was, which often, yeah, you're absolutely right. You're ab- And that's the thing, you know, you know, it, it, within within that 20 minute conversation that Matthew and I, excuse me, within that 20 minute conversation that Matthew and I had, he does, he does, he does, he does delve into areas which are, are connected, but slightly off piste as well. You know, as you just said, when he goes into his personal, personal background of abuse and so on. And then the so, connection, the, the sympathy that he has for the person that he killed, he also connects, he, he says, you know, uh, you know, maybe he was abused too. He does. He do, he does have a well-rounded perspective. Again, um, as, as he presented it to us, and you know, I am very much. I'm like obsessively mindful of the, the the how one presents themselves in different contexts. So the way for so for what I mean by that is the way he presents himself to me, a guy he's just met who, so all, for all he knows, is a journalist, might differ to how he'd present himself to a drinking buddy when he's drunk at night, right? Mm. So I, I'm, I, I'm, I really have, I really have this, um, this real um, uh, admiration for the way that people uh, open themselves up to you. What you admire the way they open themselves up? Yeah, yeah. Because I think I think you know most people don't are not going to just open up to anybody. Um, I think you and I both wouldn't just open up to just random people that we met without knowing or feeling comfortable with that. So there is there is something to that. Mm, I think uh, I would. Yeah, I mean. I'm I, I'm I'm super, I'm super realistic. I'm super realistic about my about my skill set, and I think I think I think we can. I think it would be easy for me to present myself with with some mystical gift I have to extract personal truths from people. But if you actually look on it in a really simplistic level, what I do very well is actually just not talk about myself. So you know, film. Film and video, in a way, have two different connotations. Uh, film tends to be have the more cinematic structure of, you know, narrative and storytelling and, and so forth. Um, I believe everything is a story, but when it comes to the cinematic nature that and connotation that film has as opposed to video... Um, you have a YouTube channel, we're going to share that link here, in which you are shooting videos with your smartphone and, and recording these these things that you do, these moments in time, and, and you're a part of that, right? Uh-huh. So I would want to have a podcast to help people who are vlogging and uh you know youtubers and people like that to say you know um it doesn't all have to be about you (laughs) but you can actually with your smartphone without expensive gear or anything like that just start sharing stories on video oh absolutely 
Absolutely. Yeah, I think. Uh, I, I, yes, and to that point precisely, I will, I will close with a, a, a conversation I had yesterday with someone called Dar Dixon, who actually lives in California, L.A., so not too far. Um, and one thing I said to him is that there's a huge, there's a, there's, a, I think, I think artists. Let's look at filmmakers, for example. I think filmmakers think the gap between what they want to produce and what they think is audience ready, what they think is what they think is audience ready, and what audiences will enjoy. They think that gap is very small, but I've realized that that gap is huge. Now, what I mean by that, what I mean by that is this. So, um, filmmaker A, who's obsessive about tech, uh, who's obsessive about gear, the equipment he use, he or she uses, lighting, blah, 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 blah. So they're trying to create this, in their view, perfect product, right? And they think that the average consumer of entertainment wants... Now, th this is quite a broad statement, so people are welcome to agree. They think the average consumer wants, expects, and demands that level. And that's and, and if those boxes aren't ticked, there's going to be no enjoyment here. The more I... But I've become to realise that the actual opposite is the truth. Like, what people will enjoy, there's a huge gulf between that and where most artists think they need to be. And I'm only going to use my film as the... Because it's the only barometer I have, but there's going to be thousands more out there that are the exact same. For me, 61 Hugs is the perfect example of that. I can't... Stress, I love telling people how cheap that film was. In fact, I'm going to say it again in case nobody knows. That film cost me under £3. <laughs> Okay, but it's not about how cheap it was. Is the fact that you didn't have, I mean, you had a selfie stick, right? Uh, and that three pounds wasn't even on production. That was just on a beer that I bought myself afterwards because I was exhausted. <laughs> so you're, you're right. It has nothing to do with cost. It was just filmed on what was in my pocket in a selfie stick. But I have no, I've never been interested in equipment, gear, or tech. It's not. I just don't even think. It's not that I actively avoid it. I just don't think about it in the storytelling process. Um, I'm more interested in engaging people and taking them on a journey. And both those things can be done with the most rudimentary tools. And there is, you know, look, I'm, I'm coming from both sides. I, I'll watch Lord of the Rings and I'm just marveling right. at, well, I love the story, but I also love the characters and I love exactly. all the little intricate little details from the props to, you know, the big cinematic, the views, and all these things. And at the same time, I can watch a documentary shot with a smartphone, not particularly yours, um, you know, that has a really good story. Um, and I don't care about cinematic quality or any of that. I'm just engaged. Correct. But that's because in the second instance, the, 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 the cinematic and the bells and whistles don't speak to the heart of the film. But in Lord of the Rings, it is about fantasy, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. So the so so the cinematic nature of it speaks to that fantasy. Yep. So I think you're absolutely right that there needs there needs to be a distinction drawn between the two. Like if your film isn't underpinned by fantasy and spectacle, why are you obsessing over what you're filming it on? Right. Exactly. It doesn't make sense to me. It's true, especially when you're looking at films that were shot with an iPhone four, like I've experienced. Uh, there will you can screen them on a 60-foot screen, and they look fine compared to any other uh, films. Mm. 
iPhone yeah. 4. This is 2010. Yeah. You know, we're now in 2020. Oh, my God, right? And we're talking about the iPhone 11 being out. And there are people obsessing over how they got to get an iPhone 11 to, to make a movie. And I'm saying, oh, you don't. You can use the iPhone 6. You can use the Samsung S8 uh, or whatever, you know? And as far as I'm concerned, the only resource I would like to direct people towards how to produce something that looks quite remarkable on very modest equipment would be our gentleman from the Mobile Film Festival 2019, Steve Firefly. Steve, is it Steve? I'm trying to remember. His... Oh, John Wesley. John, like yes. I, I, I was captivated by his workshop. He was, he was. I loved his. It was probably one of my favourite things of the entire three days. His, his his 20 to 30 minute workshop and how he films stuff on his phone. It just looks, there's no way in a million years anybody would know that was filmed on his iPhone if he didn't tell you. So, but, but, but if it isn't one for you, so you're not, you're not, you're not paralyzed by being seen by putting yourself out there. And the only obstacle you have is how do I shoot something? If that's the only obstacle, then you're in a great place because the answer is in your pocket, right? Right. Just got to really... have a charged phone. <laughs> Pretty much, pretty much, yeah, indeed. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I can't stress enough how much I don't want to sound flippant because, like, the majority of my friends are artists, and some of my clients, from a PR and branding point of view, are clients and I uh, are artists. And I now understand that the biggest obstacle that people often have to overcome is actually the one about being seen and being visible and putting yourself out there. That's a huge one, actually, I, I, and I'm seeing it more and more. But that's that's, that's, that's actually. An, uh, that's actually a good, a, a good point that I would I would love to point out too is that there are a lot of really good films shot with uh, with phones out there that no one even sees mm. and knows of. And but because because people are, uh, uh, they're not sharing them enough. They're not doing that that PR. I I feel like I have to do it for them, and if I'm not doing it for them, they're not going to get out there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah, unquestionably. That that is definitely another conversation we should have at another point. Like that 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 obstacle that is about being seen and putting yourself out there. I I, I accept it and that I, I still you know, I still have some of that baggage myself. I guess I'm just getting a little bit better at recognizing it in myself and pushing through regardless. Yeah, definitely. All right, CK. Uh, remember to follow CK. I'll put all the links on here. I know we mentioned it before at CK Gold Ing. Uh, spell that out for us. CK as in Calvin Klein would be my first name, and surname is spelt G O L D double I N for November, G for Golf, Golding with two eyes. CK used to do radio. He was a DJ, so he has a better voice than me. <laughs> Although. Although, <laughs> if I I shouldn't say that really flat out, CK, because if you know me being a girl, I can't really say a guy has a better voice than me. That would be awkward. Um, but he does have a better voice. I don't care. <laughs> okay, I'll take that. I will accept. <laughs> you do a girl's voice. Me me. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, always have always a pleasure talking with you. Say goodbye yep. to our listeners. Thanks a million. And I'm looking forward to watching everybody's content this year. And I'm wishing everybody well, a productive, happy, safe, fulfilling, rewarding 2020. Go and create some art. Don't be afraid to share it. And 
get on Twitter. 